0: You're listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Well, I want to be able to just challenge a few things. But first of all, I want to ask you a question. I want three or four responses to this question. What do you think the primary message of Jesus was? Say it to me in one or three words at the most. I love hearing all of the different responses. Uh, Actually, Jesus' Lord is really more of a Pauline concept. Jesus didn't go around necessarily doing that. He only said to love God three times in the four Gospels. He only said love one another four times but the kingdom, it's 129 times. And I want to come and share with you today things that I think are kingdom concepts. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, when he came out of the wilderness, this is what he started preaching. But I want to give us the historical context, a literary context from history so you understand it, because a good exegesis What that means is first seeking to hear and understand before trying to apply it to your own life. Understand it as the original recipients would have heard it and understood it from their historical context, their literary context. So I want to say when Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom, here's several things we need to look at. For one, now this isn't in Hebrew, the New Testament, it's in Greek. Because the Jews are going to be rejecting Jesus, it's going to go to a predominant Roman Empire, which the main language at that time was Greek. When Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near or here or arriving, we've got to recognize for 1,500 years, the word gospel, yes, it means good news, but it was only used for one thing, 1,500 years under the Greek empire, the Roman empire, it's used to announce a new king, a new kingdom. There's a new king, there's a new government. So at the time for 75 years when Jesus was doing this and saying his first words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, the government of heaven is here because the king and the leader of that government is here. There was the gospel of Rome for 75 years, and it was uh, Caesar Augustus. He was known as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world, the Prince of Peace. So parallel that, that Jesus is coming on the scene, and he is announcing there's a new government. There's a whole new way of doing things. And he's challenging the existing government by that statement. He was a threat to Herod, so Herod wanted to have him dead. So he's killing all the young boys up to two years of age. He's a threat to the religious system, the political system of the day, because he's providing an alternative. Jesus was a revolutionary. He started a revolution by what he was saying, and so you are revolutionaries. Every single one of you are a part of this revolution. My concern is for the church is we've had a minimizing and a reducing of the gospel of the kingdom, that we're getting people saved so they're going to heaven, which I think If that's all we focus on, it's great, but it could be an escapist mentality of how I'm going to get out of here. Or if we're looking at a rapture, I think it's a defeatist eschatology. I think it's an escapist eschatology. I don't think it's biblical. You can't even find the word in the Bible. You can't find the word, second coming. Jesus had multiple comings. He came again as the Holy Spirit. He appeared many different times. Do I believe he's going to come again? Absolutely. Is he going to establish his kingdom on earth as it it is in heaven? Absolutely. But even where it says that we're caught up, where they use the word rapture, again, remember, you have to try to hear the word as the original recipients would have heard it and understood it before we can apply it to the here and now. The whole context of being caught up in the clouds, which I believe we will be, but when you're caught up in the clouds when Jesus is coming, you know what? The whole historical context of that imagery, because the words, the language, the Greek language, the words, the imagery is from the context of the culture of the day. And he's taking a Roman empire as a new wineskin to be delivering a kingdom message. And if we reduce it and we minimize it, we get less, and we get less results. This kingdom is a new king and a new new kingdom order that's taking place on earth. And the church means legislative assembly, governing council. Where two or three Roman citizens were together in a region, they constituted the government of Rome. Anything within the laws, within the bills of Rome, they could legally be able to state that's what's happening here. So they were a governing council. Jesus uses this the two times he talks about church, Matthew 16, Matthew 18, as a governing council given authority with the keys of authority, the keys of the kingdom, to bind it to loose, to permit and forbid, to say this is lawful, this is unlawful. Everything going on in our city and our nation We are of a responsibility as the ecclesia, the church. We have the authority to be able to change it. And I want to be able to just touch on that a little bit. But before I do, I'll just get into some of these words. So, and maybe a little bit of history. So an apostle, you can still look in in Greece and it'll say in the newspaper, apostle wanted, must have owned bicycle. But the words change over time. It initially referred to people that were the admirals or the generals that were a part of the army. They would conquer in a military way. They would send a mayor, which was the apostolic leader, with his government leadership to the region that was like an outpost of Rome. And what they did is they benefited the people. They developed agriculture. Roads for commerce, for importing and exporting. Irrigation for agriculture. Government. So just like Caesar, if Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi were rebelling, they would send the army of Rome going and they would reconquer. The Roman citizens that lived in those towns would then come meet the conquering uh, Caesar, or his admirals, or generals, and they would come and they would meet him. He'd always be riding on a white horse, just so you know, but they wouldn't then go back to Rome with him. He would come into the town, and the kingdom order was reestablished. Isn't that an interesting picture? So our imagery comes from this historical context. Jesus is using a new wineskin, a new language, but imagery. So, an evangelist is a proclaimer of the gospel, saying there's a new kingdom, there's a new king, and an evangelist was a recruiter to the cause, conscripting, enlisting people into the kingdom. And so when we start, there's so much I could unpack here, but whether apostles, so when he said even, let's say, church or ecclesia, recognize these Jewish boys and these Jewish people of, wait a minute, that's a Roman outpost. Wait a minute, apostle, that's a general or an admiral in a Roman army. Wait a minute, evangelist. These were offensive terms to the people of the day. We have to understand that dynamic and to be able to understand how to apply it to here and now. Yes, we're a family, but whether Old Testament or new, the references that we're an army is equally true, that we're this legislative assembly that we're governing. Because of time, and I want to get you into small groups to be able to ask questions of one another, I want to just show you, a point to a few scriptures, and for us to understand how individually and collectively we are a part of a process of the kingdom coming through us. So we begin, I mean, Jesus preached it. He told us to preach the gospel of the kingdom, calling people to repent, repentance, which is think again. I want you to reconsider. There's another kingdom order and way of living that's different than how you're living. He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It actually means venerated, honored, in awe. It's saying, God, I want your name to be famous. And I want it to be famous by your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth just as it is in heaven. To not have a dichotomous view that you kingdomize your life, your marriage, your family, your workplace. If you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. If you're a Christian, you're a full-time missionary. If you're a Christian, you're either an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher, and usually a combination. If you're a Christian, you're a church planter. You're planting the church in your marriage, your family, your workplace, your school. It's everywhere everywhere. William Tyndale died for this argument. He hated that they translated the word ecclesia into church, because church means a building in a geographic location, not a legislative assembly, not a governing council. And so he died for that. And as far as I know from Josh's dad, Bill, that they are descendants of William Tyndale. Josh, is this correct? Family legend? <laughs> Buddy! Kay. But this is what William Tyndale died for. He wanted a, a, an accurate interpretation of God's word because he saw the power could be diminished by misunderstanding the word. So they used the word Kirk instead. No time for to, get, to get into the history, but you're praying for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I don't watch or know all of you, but I watch whether sometimes Stacy, or Fabio and Leanne, and I see them church planting in their marriage, in their business, and kingdomizing it. Bringing their children through these, not only the Bible, but these books of men and women of faith. And knowing that, yeah, Fabio wants to make money. He definitely does, but he's seeking to... Leanne, Leanne may not care as much about that. But they want to see the kingdom come to do the work and the business that they're doing, and they're doing everything they can to the best of their knowledge. This is my observation of seeking to bring the kingdom through that context. Maybe many of you are as well, but I haven't been around it, whereas I've been around them and I've watched. And this is what I'm looking for, and I love it. So, a couple of more thoughts, and then I'm going to have you break into groups. Favorite passage of mine to meditate on is Isaiah 51.16. This is God saying to his people Israel through his prophet Isaiah, I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand, which is the Holy Spirit, so that you may plant the new heavens, and lay the foundation for the new earth, for you are my people. It's only God's word that has the power, but his word in your mouth is just as powerful as it is in his. When it's spoken by the Holy Spirit speaking through you at the right time and the right place, you are participating in creating the new heavens and the new earth. Why? God, when he created everything, he said it's good. But we messed it up. We don't have to clean it up on our own, but nor is he going to do it all by himself. He's put us in a managerial stewardship role, and we're going to clean it up with him. We're not only going to clean it up, we're going to be a part of renewing. That word new heaven, new earth means renewed. The prophets continued to speak about this, Isaiah 65, I think it's 17, Isaiah 66, 22, 2 Peter chapter 3, we see it in Revelation 21, you look at the end of the book, what do we see? I see a bride adorned, it's like this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to be established on the earth. And God's saying, I'm making all things new. It's like this city is a bride. This city is God's temple. We're not going to need the moon or the stars any longer. They may still be there. But if we could show these two PowerPoints. Uh, if, if uh, someone, There it is. So this is the size of the New Jerusalem. It's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. So each, each dimension is 1,500 miles. So it's going to be a little bit bigger than the old Jerusalem. It could potentially cover like three quarters of the landmass of the United States and then going that height as well. But it's going to be on earth. This is the end of the book. Yes, when you die, you might go to heaven, or you might sleep until the resurrection. But the ultimate end ob- objective is the kingdom of heaven is going to be on earth. That's what we pray for. That's the end of the book. That's the beginning of the book. That's what it's going to look like in Ephesians 1.10, in the fullness and the climax of the ages. God is going to bring everything together in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. Acts 3.21, Christ must remain in heaven until the restoration of the fullness that the prophets foretold. So he's waiting until you and I are maturing, because when does the kingdom come and how does it come? It comes through the outpost of the ecclesia. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. But Revelations 12, 10, and 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Because the accuser, the brethren who accuses them day and night before the throne of God, has been cast down. Then it says, They, meaning you and I, the ecclesia, overcame him, meaning the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb, appropriating all that it's atoned for. Which is the redemption of all things, because for God so loved the world, which means the entire cosmos, that He sent His Son. Not to save a few and then to destroy everything else, but He sent His Son to be able to redeem everything that God created which was good. And so Christ remains in heaven until you and I are appropriating all that the blood of Jesus has atoned for by the word of our testimony which is his word coming out of our mouths. And here's the clincher. And we love not our lives so much as to shrink back from death. We are determined as David's men that we're going to make Jesus king and establish his kingdom. We're not going to do it by a physical force, by military weapons, but in love and humility we're going to do this. If you want great resources, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, he wrote many historical books. This one is 2,000 years of history, how Christianity and the Bible has shaped the entire Western world, and how the church, first of all, conquered Rome, but by taking the children that they didn't want, whether the handicapped, physically, mentally, whether it was in the girls, they would, the Romans would kill all the baby girls, or almost all of them, because they just wanted boys and the church would take them. Or when there was disease and plagues, they would throw out their own family members, but the Christians would take them in. So it was out of this love and compassion and willing to risk their lives to be able to even love their enemies. And Tom Holland does a brilliant job. So whether the book Dominion by Tom Holland, whether How the Irish Saved Civilization We can see the pattern repeated again by Thomas Cahill and how the Irish, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, the Irish were used by God to save civilization by the word of God going out from Ireland into all these places because the entire Roman Empire was burning all literature and going barbaric and into the Dark Ages. Any Irish people in here? I just want to thank you. Your Ancestors Saved Civilization. It's a great book. Bishel Mangalwadi's book on, uh, it's the book that made your world, which refers to the Bible of how it created our Western world. Or this book changed everything, which is a follow-up of how every part of the Western world has been shaped by the word of God. A simple book, if you want to read the stories, is The Book That Transforms Nations by Lauren Cunningham. How through the Reformation, they weren't just getting people saved, but they were looking at what does the Word of God say on government? What does it say on education? What does it say on family? What does it say on social justice? What does it say in every single area of life? And they sought to live it. And they took places like Geneva, which was known as the smelliest city in the world, When you get a revival, I think we're moving into the greatest revival ever in history, but the greatest reformation that we've ever experienced in the church and its effect upon the world that we've ever experienced. But, just like Paul said, there's been a wide open door of opportunity open for me, referring to Ephesus, but there are many adversaries. There's an incredible opposition, but there's an incredible opportunity. And you are a part of that. You living out your identity and your calling is the rent you pay to be living on this planet. You need to know who you are and why you're here. It's about making Jesus king. His name being made famous. Not by force, but by love, by a servant heart. And God wants to give you a strategy to to see his kingdom come into your marriage, your family, your workplace, education, whatever sphere that you are burdened or concerned with. He wants to give you that. So I want you to just now break up into groups, three to five people, and to be able to just, you know, ask one another, what is the rent that you're paying? the identity you're living out of, the calling you're fulfilling to be able to see the kingdom come and to see things being transformed around you. If you, you might not know yet, but you, if you just go, you know what, I need to start thinking about this and praying about this. What it, wherever you're at, I want you to just break up in circles for a few minutes and to be able to ask this question. All right? ask the questions or share with one another and say, this is what I think I'm here for. So if we could just take about, uh, let's see, it's 11.17. Kate, how much time? 10 minutes? 10 minutes, three to five people. Find a group of people, it doesn't have to be exact. Ask one another why you're here on this planet. And what is God's purpose for you? Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.